Hello, and welcome to Sherlock, from Adler to Amberley. An attempt to analyse all 56 of the Sherlock Holmes short stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. In order. Starting with the first story, A Scandal in Bohemia, featuring the celebrated adventuress Irene Adler, and finishing with the final story of the casebook of Sherlock Holmes, The Retired Cullerman, where Holmes and Watson accept the case from Mr Josiah Amberley. Hence, from Adler to Amberley. My name is Carl Kopak, and I'll be presenting this irregular series along with a special guest as we attempt to assess the value of each tale of the canon. A very, very quick recap of what happened in A Scandal in Bohemia. Holmes and Watson are engaged by the Count von Kram, who turns up at 221B Baker Street. Turns out he's wearing a mask and Holmes sees through it straight away and realises he's the King of Bohemia. The King tells him that he's become embroiled with the adventuress Irene Adler, who's an opera singer, and who has a photograph of them together which is particularly compromising. They're not supposed to be together because he's nobility and she very obviously isn't. And she's threatened to release the photograph on the Davis betrothal to an equal uh, member of the royalty of Europe. Holmes decides to go along to her house dressed as, dressed as a loafer, as a workman. And very strangely, what is a witness at their wedding, she marries a man called Godfrey Norton. He doesn't quite work out why. They go back the next day, this time Holmes is dressed as an Italian priest, or a priest at least, um, where he gets his way into the house by claiming to be beaten up, and Watson throws a rocket through the window, a fire rocket. She sees that there's a fire going on, and she looks at the place where the photograph is, because Holmes reasons that a mother would look for a look to her baby if a house is on fire, whereas he rightly figures that there is nothing as important in that house as the photograph, and so she basically looks at where it is. So he wants to go back the next day and pick it up with the king, and everyone wins. But when he goes home that night, a woman dressed as a man, he thinks it's a man, obviously, says, good night, Sherlock Holmes, and it gets in his head. He doesn't know who that person is. They go back the next day with the king, and she's gone. She's flown the nest. She's gone abroad. But she leaves a note saying that she knows it was him, and that he is a formidable antagonist, and... The king is happy that it's all solved now because she said, I won't release the photograph, I just use it for insurance purposes, and we're all happy here. The king's happy, and he says to, to Holmes, what would you like from me? This ring is worth a fortune, and she says, I've got nothing but the photograph of herself that she left behind. Holmes is beaten by a woman. My guest this week is Neil Atkinson. Neil is the main host and chief exec now of the Anfield Rap podcast. For those who don't know what that is, it is the biggest fan-based, well, how would you call it, Neil? The Liverpool FC fan media group, I suppose. Yeah, we can call it that. There's writing, there's video, there's audio, you name it, we've got it. Uh, chief exec sounds awfully formal. See, uh, see so you that's not really, no, that sounds even worse. Yeah. Uh, just yeah, just let's just say host, and we'll all get on with our lives. <laughs> we're, we're a host, and the, the the way I know the reason I know Neil is because I've been 
on uh, numerous podcasts. And this all came about because, I don't know if you remember this, but we did a podcast on a Sunday uh, after Liverpool played Crystal Palace that we are getting to share, like everyone, don't worry. And there's an icebreaker question there, were, there was in those days. And the question was, what is your, um, what would be your mastermind uh, specialized yep. subject? Uh, where a mutual friend of ours for the first time announced that he was a, a fan of, of the, the band Ride, which completely threw the room because it, it didn't, that, that shocked me anyway. Um, and what I wasn't expecting is when you said, uh, when I answered, obviously mine would be the Sherlock Holmes short stories, you asked me a follow-up question, which I wasn't expecting in the slightest. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was the question was, um, what was the name of the man with the twisted lip? And, yeah. uh, and and this all started basically from that from that a throwaway question. I don't even know who wrote the question, but the, this whole podcast today is based on that, what, 15-second exchange, I'd say, three, four years <laughs> ago, something like that. Um, I said on Twitter last night, last night, Neil, that I, I think what with my podcast on the Alpha Rap um, and other various Liverpool ones, I did one last night, for example, uh, and various Rippercast podcasts that I must have done over about 200 in my time. I mm-hmm. don't want to think about how many you've done. It's, it's got to be in the thousands, surely. I think I think between 2011 and 2015, I was probably averaging about a hundred, uh, yeah, about a hundred a year. And from 2015, March of 2015, uh, until let's say March of 2019, I'm probably averaging about let's say 40 a month which will put us in the vicinity of 500 a year so i think i'm probably over 2000 uh, over 2000 podcasts since 2011 yeah um but this is the first one where i've got to luxuriate in sherlock uh, so that has a certain amount to recommend it i was going to say this is really weird for me because normally when you and i talk in front of a microphone i'm just waiting for you to answer the questions and i get the easy job <laughs> um, so, so now this is really weird with you know me sitting in the other chair. I'm just not used to this at all. I was, I was thinking it's, before. I best not pause and think. Well, why isn't he asking any questions? Oh yeah, it's, it's me, isn't it? Yeah, it's really exciting to be honest with you. I've really enjoyed sort of uh, sort of preparing for this. Uh, I've been thinking about it for about two weeks. It was funny. I was um, I was I was walking walking home with my wife from the train station, and uh, she made some sort of remark that you've got work you've got work to do later. And I was thinking, well, I would not. Re- I've got a few bits I could do with cracking on with. I said, no, not really. And she said, you've got that podcast. And I was like, oh, that one's not work. This one's not work. Yeah, exactly. This, yeah. Is, the, <laughs> this is this is this is the fun one. Uh, this yeah. is the, and that's the city of the ones aren't fun. But this is, you know, this isn't the job. This is, uh, this is doing the, you know, this is, this is me sort of chipping in. And I'm, as I say, I've been really excited about it for a couple of weeks. Really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to being part of the start of it because I think it's, and I think I also get a bit of a privileged position, which we'll come on to. But I think you know the idea of grabbing this one and grabbing a scandal in Bohemia and being able to contextualise it around the two novels, which you're not going to talk about, but I get to talk no. about them a little bit more than anybody else yep, because I think they're important in this. You know, like all of that is a real opportunity to to enjoy Sherlock and I, I very much enjoy going back to the text and, uh, and being prepared. It's um, You're right, it's not work because my problem with Sherlock is I, I, there's no one I can go to the pub with and sit down and talk, right, can we talk about this a second? Why does Sherlock do that? Why in the moment of Twisted Lip does his wife call him James? No one's interested in my world about <laughs> things like that. This isn't work. This didn't require very little preparation. Because uh, it's not as, not as if I have to sort of revise it or anything like that. Um, there's one more thing I'll talk about, I'll, I'll, um, which people may not know about you, Neil, was um, 
in 2016, you you co-produced and co-wrote a film called Native, uh, which I was lucky to see and lucky enough to see in the the East End Film Festival. I think it was called in Stepney Green. Yeah. Um, there's a Sherlock link in that as well, as in yeah. BBC Sherlock, in that Rupert Graves is involved. Did you have any say in that, in getting Rupert Graves? And it was just one of a happy coincidence. I mean, it wasn't because of Sherlock, but that's what people sort of knew him from and had an awareness of. Um, we basically just went to get the best actor we possibly could get, and that was Rupert by some distance, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, he's tremendous in our film. He's good in the Sherlock television programmes. That's, that's yeah. quite but, you know, it's really interesting. It's interesting to talk to him, um, you know, when we sort of bits and pieces, not to get into the ins and outs of Sherlock, but like from an actor's point of view, I think one of the reasons why he did our film, because trust me, he really didn't get paid very much, is he, you know, he gets to, in his words, play up front. Um, you know, that idea that he was, you know, at the age that he sort of now is, you don't actually get offered the idea of, being a lead in a film anywhere near as much or even being a lead of television yeah. at times and he really enjoyed that and I think he really enjoyed the responsibility of it and he's great in the film uh, he's a really nice person as well I mean people always say that and it always sounds rather lovey-ish but it's it's true of Rupert um, uh, I you know liked him a great deal and yeah he's very self-effacing he's really good company uh, but it was it was great to have him and work with him uh, on Native and you know Native is you know it's it's important to me to us to those of us who worked on it but it was sort of the film you know a fair bit of what i'm going to talk about really is we didn't just do native it wasn't like we were trying to make native for 15 years yeah we've we worked through a lot of other sort of script ideas and had differing amounts of success none of which have uh i've made it to camera before native um and i've not really had much time because of the anfield rap stuff to work on work on anything else sort of subsequently uh, Dan's trying to work a few projects out at the minute and he's a really good director and hopefully he'll get somewhere with one of them at some point soon in terms of getting it made getting it shot um, but what it did was sort of from the ground up in terms of storytelling and it still informs almost my work in practice now to be honest with you one of the things that I think both having done Native but also having worked on the other stuff that we've done is that you end up thinking a great deal about storytelling and a great deal about structure a great deal about rules, a great deal about internal logic. And, you know, all of that helps. And it might sound a bit almost crass to say it helps with football podcasts or helps with football uh, video. But it does. Uh, the sort of the structure of things matters and the way in which you go about that matters. And we're all informed on that on the stories that we read. And a massive part of that is that one of the reasons why, you know, the ultimately in the sort of canon of literature, I would argue the Conan Doyle short stories are s substantially underrated, to be quite honest with Incredibly you, around sorry. Sherlock. Um, he, he, he does an awful lot of work, and I think he's actually in, in part underrated for the short stories because I actually don't think the longer works are particularly impressive. Um, uh, and I think that that's something which you know people will rate off the longer works and they grab uh, sort of a, a sense in the collective cultural imagination. You know, certainly something like Hound of the Baskervilles is much pastiched. Yeah. Um, but the actual short stories, when you revisit them, especially the early ones, and that's not just the idea that the, the early work of the band is better than the later work of the band. I think the early ones do stand up better. And when Conan Doyle himself ranks them in the mid-20s, you know, he, he does specify a couple of the later ones and goes out of his way to do it, but it's noticeable that in his own sort of top 10, he's got six or seven from the first two yeah, collections. Exactly. So it suggests he's aware that that was the stronger work, 
but they're they're beautifully done. And I think that the one of the re- ways in which they're brilliant is they actually remind me a little bit revisiting them of Le Carre, where you feel as though there's not a word wasted. And yeah. one of the issues when you look at a study of Scarlet or you look at a sign of four is there's a lot of words wasted and there's a lot of fat that could be trimmed from them because I don't think Conan Doyle has quite got quite entirely sort of no. grasped what it is he's trying to do at that stage. And then we get to this one, um, we get to Scandal and he's it's an unbelievably sort of economic uh, story which opens up so many you know, at times playfully, at, at times um, deliberately in our lives and in our works, and it's it's a lovely little jewel of a story that he's that he's pulled together. It's tremendous, and and as, and as structurally as, as a piece of writing, you know, it's even split into three chapters for God's sake in this little short thing. Uh, it's it's brilliantly done. Well, that's my thing. It's it's it, it, he's done it in acts, and and when I write, I write in an act, begin yeah. mid, begin middle end, and and that that's a huge thing for me because. Um, I like to know there's there's nothing worse if you read a short story and there's a collection of little episodes and you keep thinking, yeah, but where's the story going? There's no central arc underneath it saying, yeah, they've moved on to this bit. Like, you know, they found out it's, it's not Count Van Cram, he's the king. You know, he just gives you that straight away. Right, I'm, straight away, I know who that is. There's no mystery because this isn't the important thing. The next thing is what's going on a bit with Irene Adler. And when he does it in three little groups of things like that, there's the wedding scene um, uh, with Sherlock's involved in. Um, and then obviously there's the fire rocket incident. And then there's the going to the house. And that's enough for him. Whereas I think you're right about the novels. Out of the four of them, I'd say I'd like about two and a quarter. And that's cobbled across all four of them. Um, but, but the Valley of Fear, for example, Sherlock's not in it. He's hardly yeah. in it. Ever. And I got bored when I was reading it as a kid, thinking, I need, I need Baker Street here. I don't, I'm not interested in this. So I think I think with the novels, I think, I, so I, th- I think there's a thing that mystery story writers do. All really good mystery story writers have to write about five stories. In order to make your one story work, which is the uncovering of the mystery, you have to write about five stories. And what he does in Study of Scarlet, Sign of Four and Valley of Fear is he's far too, and, and I don't think Baskerville is that good. Um, as almost as a separate discussion point but what he does and this is why this is really important to discuss scandal um, what he does in in those stories is he's written the backstory that underpins the main story which is the Sherlock driven narrative to uncover what the backstory is to tell us the, 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 the reason of the murder the reason of the crime but what it does in doing that is he's almost done it and he's desperate to show us the work he's desperate to show us the work yeah. and, and, and because of that You've, you know, the, the the greatness of any sort of tremendous mystery story, any tremendous detective story is when you're reading it and you feel that all you're seeing is snapshots and snippets of four or five narratives that underpin these lives that give reason why X could be the person who's responsible for the crime. Um, and that's where I think mysteries are at the very, very best. There's a really good deconstructed um, sort of jigsaw puzzle style uh, called The Final, The Missing Piece, sorry, an Italian writer. I think it's Bell, Antoine Bello. Uh, and he writes 48 um, sort of vignettes in different forms. And the point of it is there's a fellow who's being killed. Um, there's, there's a serial killer around jigsaw puzzle murders. 
uh, about around sort of sort of competitive jigsaw puzzling. It's 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 meant to be comic, but it's a pastiche. But it's meant you're meant to be trying to work it out. And what he does with this is that he gives you the snapshots of different things. And because it's a jigsaw puzzle, and because of the way in which he's written it, and because it's a, you know, it's it's part pastiche, part brilliant story. You, you know, he, the, the structure tells you that this is what all murder store, all good murder mysteries are. Yeah. In the early Sherlock work, you and you get to see that sort of Conan Doyle's working that out. He's working this form out, and it's when he hits his stride in the two set, the first two sets of short stories, where there's so much going on. You mentioned Twisted Lip before; it's got a huge inner life that we only just really touch on towards the very yeah. end. Uh, there's the Napoleons, uh, which is you know is 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 an unbelievable story. There's this one. There's the Red Headed League, which has got three or four things going on. It's also got an overarching Gothic element in there as well and all of these what he's doing is he, he lays the groundwork for what for instance Agatha Christie's going to go on and do you can go right the way forward to someone like Colin Dexter you can then sort of make it real and talk about Ian Rankin but what what all of these brilliant writers brilliant mystery story writers are building on is that Conan Doyle works out what to leave out and what to hint at and what to drop in and structurally that's you know incredible and and he the difference between a study in scarlet where he basically he's like a magician who then has feels feels obliged to show you how he's done the trick by the time we get into these short stories the early ones he's realized actually it's better if i don't show them the trick but show them hints as to how the trick's been done and this is the first time he does that and in doing this one and why i love this one and why i was really pleased you've got me on not just because it's the first one of these podcasts that you've done but the other reason why is he really quickly establishes his universe in this story he really, really quickly gives you these are the rules of engagement for Sherlock through these short stories. He's almost going, forget sign of four, forget study of scholars. We've got the character, we've got John, we've got Sherlock, and now I'm going to tell you what my rules are. And he does it dead, dead fast. So there's, you know, in this one three-act play, as you almost, you, you know, you're right to point that out, in this one three-act play, what he does is he makes really clear to us that, one, I don't need murder. I don't yeah. need murder to tell you a really good story. So don't come to me thinking you're going to get loads of murders all the time because I'm going to give you puzzles and I'm going to give you intrigue and I'm going to build your lovely narratives that interweave and happen quickly and grab your attention. But I don't need I don't need to kill someone. So don't come to all of these and think that we need there to be murder. Don't, don't even uh, need a crime half the time. Yeah, don't even need a crime. Don't even, yeah, don't even need a crime. Don't need, I, I, I can have that there could be a crime. I can have that there's something going on this is the essence of he's saying these are mysteries and this yeah. guy solves mysteries and this is what he does. But no, I don't need to be murdered. I don't need to even necessarily be a nailed on crime. That's the first thing that he does. And he liberates himself so much from the novels in, he does it almost in that first act alone. He just liberates himself from the novels to such he, an he, extent. He does, he does so much. I mean, there's also the, the abruptness with Watson when he comes in, you can tell their mates, but Watson's a little bit wary of his moods because he's like that, which, which written around this time, um, 1891, I think it's 1890 when he first wrote it, it was, uh, that's unusual. You want your heroes to be likable. And straight away, the, the, the second he comes through the door, he knows that he's in a bad mood. Yep. Because that's where he's like, he's abrupt. And he's, that's not to say he's not an unpleasant man, but he can be abrupt because, uh, as he says, you know, in, in um, uh, sign of the four, like you know, everything is brain work, everything that his mind stagnates at boredom, you know. So he's he's not the classic um, likable man, but 
I think I think maybe three paragraphs he's into the and he's like, okay, you've got that about him straight away. He's a bit grumpy. And I, and I, I completely agree with you. The, the fact that he sets his, unif- uh, his universe down straight away to say, right, okay, I've got this. I'm not going to be nice to the man who turns up because I don't think he's very nice, and that's fine. And that's comic, obviously, when um, uh, when the king or the Count Von Kram, whatever he's called, but, um, comes in. It's not an, a usual start to a short story from this period. It's no. all sort of, it's all countenance and civility and, you know, have a brandy, sit down, what are we going to do? And Conan Doyle goes straight away as if to Solik, you know, he's, he's an edgy bloke, straight away. I don't think he used that yeah. term exactly, but... No, he, he, well, he, yeah, he gets to the point that the Count's got to take the mask off and admit that he's the king really quickly. Yeah. And as you said before, there's not a mystery behind this. We're not going to even tolerate this. It's almost like he's ripping, he's ripping away the civility yeah. of the to get to the story. Uh, it, it, from a writer's point of view, to get to the story, but as you say, it also does the characterization. Sherlock hasn't got any time for any of this stuff. There's a story. There's, there's a mystery to be uncovered. I'm going to uncover it as quickly as possible, and that's the that's the turnaround in there, and that happens, and it's it's immediate, and it tells us that there's this thing, that this is what he does, um, and this is this is who he is, and it does all of that really really quickly. And the next thing that it does is it tells us that, for instance, this goes out of his way to effectively say this man is not going to fall in love with anyone. Uh, it says it explicitly, yeah, exactly. but then it does it within the story. So don't think you come back to these stories thinking that the love will be involved, but only as something that we point at and that we use as a collection of evidence to explain behavior. But I'm just, you know, as a writer, he's almost saying, don't think for one second, there's, there's a story coming in three stories time where this fella's, uh, sw- someone sweeps him off his feet. This is not available. And I'm ruling that out right now. Um, and in my universe with this character this is what he's like and you're going to have to accept that so he set that rule up as well and he and he's got that one and the last thing that he does within the whole of this story is whilst building homes up and the work around the disguise and all of that sort of stuff he simultaneously tells you that this fellow's not invincible and that's so important because it's what it's my favorite that- thing it's my favorite thing about this whole story number one track one side one straight out the gate he lost i yeah. love that so much I love that. I, I, th- I think it's, it's huge. It's incredibly, it's, yeah, it's incredibly bold. And what it reminds you of is don't think he's all but saying for the rest of these short stories, there's going to be another, however many of them there are in the adventures. But for the, whenever you read one of these fellow stories, don't think he's always going to win. Don't think he's got that always to fall back on. Don't think that at the end there's going to be a Deus Ex Machina that's going to pull him out of the shit that he's found himself in. He is going to at times not win or he's going to struggle and this is how it's going to manifest itself and I think he keeps that up right the way through until the final problem really really well um, and I think that that's one of the it's always there or thereabouts for Sherlock in a way that I think that's where at times other adaptations of him get that a little bit wrong and where for instance other other bits of writing and other characterizations around other sorts of literary figures i think you know that i think the difference between the difference between poirot and sherlock there's a number of differences but one is you never feel as though poirot isn't going to get a result Whereas I actually think in part because of this story, but also because of the way Conan Doyle presents his stories after this one in general, there are moments when you, with with Conan Doyle's work, where you feel as though the small C conservatism that's inherent within any mystery story, i.e. the world will return to normal because the murderer, the killer, the crime will be, you know, we, we will return to the status quo because yeah. that's what the aim is. That's what the job is. Well, that that isn't there. 
with 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 a lot of the Conan Doyle work, you don't feel as though he's going to be able to ret- that Sherlock Sherlock is not promising he'll return the world to the way in which it was before. That's not what he offers you. He'll offer you an explanation for odd things happening. He will get to the bottom of whatever it is. But what he's actually not going to offer you is the safe little return to the world as was. And that's again one of the reasons why Sherlock's really really interesting. And if you actually go through, as I say, you imagine that first sort of twenty works. You know, a lot of them they don't actually revert the world back. People's worlds are shaken up. It's not as simple as a man goes to prison at the very end or a man confesses and then we all leave the scene because it's all going to be all right. A lot of people's worlds, some of them are better, some of them are worse, some of them are troubled. And in this instance, it isn't as though order gets restored, although Sherlock does his job to the satisfaction of his client. Yeah. Yeah, and there's other examples of that. I'm thinking just off the top of my head, um, Silver Blaze, yeah. Um, it, the first thing he, he says is, Watson, I've made a blunder. It's the first thing he says, because he didn't yeah. go down to the race of stables in time. Uh, there's the, I'd be coming up soon to do the five orange pips, where yeah. he, he blames himself for a man's death. He does the same with the speckled band as well, because he, he says, technically, I, I could have, I, I, it could be said that I've murdered Dr. Grabby Royalett, because he just let the snake kill him, you know. Spoilers, everyone. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, I think the fact that he's, um, please read the stories, it's not difficult. Um, the fact that he's fallible again it makes it sort of real and you're right when it comes out the other side of uh, I'm just trying to think of an example of this at the end of this Irene and they get married and the king's dead happy because he he trusts her I'm not quite sure why he trusts her quite so much as he does but uh, um, Holmes goes back again and is his life hasn't changed at all it's just another unit's gone so it's not just the, the you know the people involved in the case when people die or you know Someone goes to jail. Um, Sherlock's life is... It's like the tragedy continues for him in some mm. ways because he knows he's going to be bored again before the next one happens. So there's always there's that characterization thrown into it as well. There's always an element of... I'd, in some ways, he hopes... That, I think he says in one case, I think it's the yellow face, but he, say, he says, um, I don't... Part of me doesn't really want to solve this because I'm enjoying it too much because he knows what's coming afterwards. <laughs> Pure on the way... And again, pe- people weren't writing this in 1890. There was none of this stuff going on at all. I think that's what makes it so interesting about um, just unusual how concise it all is. Um, but one thing I will say, though, is although Arthur Conan Doyle wrote a very, very different character when he wrote Sherlock Holmes, and obviously it's been copied a billion times, um, he, he likes to show off as well. So there's the, the, the deduction scene where he's talking about um, the, what's it, the boots cutting something yeah. of the London slavery and all that. So he's, he's having a little sort of a bit of a, a wave at the audience. You like this bit, don't you? Well, well, here we go. Um, I love that bit as well, because that's almost as if that's in with me in mind. I'm just going to show off a bit here. And obviously in the TV series, there's um, he, he does it with, with Mycroft. Um, and obviously he does it in uh, the, the Greek Interpreter as well, where, where him and Mycroft show off to each other. Um, but I want to come back again just to the idea of Sherlock... Well, at the first, the, actually, the very, very first paragraph, where Watson goes out of his way to say that she was the woman that he only ever called her the woman. She predominates and eclipses the something of her sex, whatever it was. Um, and the fact that he lost to a woman. When I first read that, I read this. I, I was quite late to Sherlock. I don't know when you started. I, was, I must have been about twenty-two or something. It's okay. always something I knew I was going to get into. But when I read that, I thought. Uh, so he doesn't like women and it's not that now obviously I've read it a billion times since 
his attitude towards women, it's hinted at a lot that, you know, he's, um, he's a chivalrous opponent, but he is an opponent. So I think that's a, also an incredibly brave start straight away. He just doesn't trust women, everyone. He doesn't understand the, uh, the lack of logic. It would go down a storm today, obviously, but uh, this sort of thing. But is that unusual, do you think? I think that I think that one of the things that this does is it sort of it sort of throws open the idea that again setting up what's to come what's to come is that Sherlock's going to have there is a way so for instance throughout this story he's remarkably dis, he ends the story his last exchange with the king is remarkably disrespectful yeah uh, and he's you know he's openly just ripping him uh, at the end of it um, and I think that that's you. If you actually look at the early short stories, there's a, there's an unbelievable number of women characters that Sherlock appears to warm to, one way or another. Actually, through those stories, yeah. and I think again, this is Conan Doyle almost saying, "Don't think there's, don't think that this is always going to be normal. Don't think that we're going to follow the normal rules with this guy because he's going to be the way in which he is with with everybody. And this is almost the the getting the permission for that out the way." So we have this sort of it ends with Watson saying he's not been making making jokes about about women's lack of et cetera, et cetera, very much yeah. recently. And then he sort of never ever does anyway from this point forward. So you know, you've that and and it, it's not as though I, I can't really think of any examples really where he was like that in Study of Scarlet or in Sign of Four. But it's almost like like again, Conan Doyle feels as though he's got to set that scene that that's, this isn't gonna happen. Don't think that this is going to happen, and and don't therefore, if a woman comes in to a Sherlock Holmes story, writing for an eighteen nineties audience, he's almost saying you've got to take her as reliably a narrator as you'd take anybody else. Yeah, um, and that's the way in which it then gets treated going forward. You've got to firstly presume that they could be criminals. <laughs> By the way, firstly presume that they could be up to no good. You've yeah. also got to you've got, but if you know if they behave a certain way, then you've got to take them this way. And I think he's almost trying to take a bit of that out with this story. I think he's almost trying to say, and it's 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 a little bit you know, it's a little bit cynical in the sense of he's trying to say, listen, they're all ciphers. They're all ciphers within which we're going to tell these stories. We're all, I'm using all of these things right the way through. But what I'm not going to do is I'm basically not going to write any stories about silly girls. Yeah. No silly girls in my stories about Sherlock Holmes. That's not what we're doing. That's not the sort of writer I want to be. And that's not the world I want this fella to inhabit. If women come in, you've got to treat them a certain way. And I think that that's, Again, it's really, really interesting. Um, don't think, by the way, again, don't think Sherlock's fallen for any of them. John's got married to Mary by this point, so that's all yeah. boxed off as well. So you haven't got to worry about that. And it's almost as though he's saying, "Just, t- I'm just taking all of that away. So there's some yeah. stuff that's going to come in future stories, but right now I'm just taking all of this away. Everything's uh, got a romantic angle, but not me. That, yeah. that, and that's a refreshing thing to come back because you... You watch any TV program these days, you know, where's the love interest? Why? Because there's got to be one. Why? Why does it have to be a love interest? And again, I keep coming back to it being 1890, 1891, and that just being nuts. And um, a lot of this is cut copy. It's not exactly the same thing, obviously, but um, I'm, I'm a big P.G. Woodhouse fan uh, of the, the Jews and Wooster stories. And I love the fact that Bertie Wooster's whole existence is about not getting married and somehow accidentally nearly getting married. And it's a, it's not it's nothing it's nothing similar to this at all. But it's the same sort of where, where ordinarily you think, oh no, how does he get the girl at the end? That's the last thing he wants. He doesn't want that at all. He just wants to go and get drunk with his mates and do stupid aristocratic things um, and play the games. You know, very very high comedy. 
And I think one of the reasons I, I loved um, Holmes and I love Bertie Wooster is just for that sort of, it goes against the grain of, you know, there's got to be a girl involved. Like, you know, I'm just thinking off top of, you know, um, if there's a Western on made from the 50s and there's an attractive woman in the first 10 minutes, she's getting married to him at the end. That's going to happen. And although that formula always works, I love the fact it doesn't go near it in Sherlock. I do also think that the, one of the reasons he does this so well, Conan Doyle, is because he does tend to give that to Watson. I'm, so I'm thinking of things like um, Case of Identity, uh, The Solitary Cyclist, where, you know, very attractive women turn up and Watson's yep. all charm and hearts and flowers and things like that. And Holmes is what you want. Can you just start talking yep. about your case, please? I want to know what your case is. Quick, why aren't you talking about the case? That's his attitude straight away. And I think that's incredibly well done in this story because he does meet someone who he massively underrates. Uh, and then he sees her. He, he says she's beautiful as well in this. Um, so there's a little bit sort of, he's not quite the automaton he's made out to be. But I think it's hugely important that um, to have a character who surprises you, as you said before, literally instantly. I think that's just, that, that's just a massive thing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's huge for him, and I think he's just sort of trying to he is trying to sort of close that down now, and I think that that's that's important uh, for, for, for what he's going to do next, and not just in this story, but in the stories that are to come. And I think that this is all back to the the idea of he wants to direct you to the inner lives he wants you to, he wants to direct you to, so he's got no interest really in trying to in trying to trying to play homes any other way. My the other thing that he does brilliantly. In, I mean, he does it repeatedly. He does it through all the books, and you know, you get the impression there's so much fun he has with it. But this is the one where, for instance, he mentions Odessa, the Atkinson brothers, which is nice from a personal level. <laughs> he mentions uh, he mentions the incident with the King of Holland, which is one of the reasons why he's ended up with Holland, Bohemia, the yes. Holland, Holland royal family. There's the Darlington scandal. Uh, yeah. There's Arnsworth Castle gets a mention as well. I it, this is one of my favourite things in all of the the canon of the Holmesian sort of things is the, the, the uncollected cases. I love every I one of them. Oh, the tremendous, the absolutely tremendous. And he's just, he just throws them all in here. He just throws five in, in this one short story. Yeah. But again, it's to tell you, it's to tell you, I'm not telling you everything. There are other stories that make up the story of this person. And what I love about these references is the idea that, that, Conan Doyle himself to these stories that you don't get told you know are they part stories that he's written before yeah. are they ideas I think that there's I love that I love the, the way in which he does them and he must be enjoying them I refuse to believe he isn't but what I also love about the I love it when they get referred when when tales that are in the canon get referred to in the BBC series in that sort of way. It's yeah. one of my favourite things. And it's one of the things that tells you that for the strengths or weaknesses of the, B the modern BBC series, the people who do it love Sherlock because they've understood why that's funny and why it's it, but why it's important. We don't just only get the stories. We don't just only get the cases that you want to give us. You, there's, there's other ones that have happened that we're not even going to go into because they're not interesting enough. And that's the other thing, this idea that Watson, and it, it begins to get dropped into here, that Watson is ever so slightly curating these tales for yeah. us. Yeah, he's definitely. choosing with the ones, the ones we should know about, the ones that tell us something about this man, the ones that tell us something about humanity, the ones that tell us something. And again, that's really, really important. And it's also important with the fact that people began to, you know, the 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 cliched stuff around the idea that in the 19th century people began to believe this person was real. 
That's yeah. one of the reasons why is because he isn't firstly painted as this the Superman, but it also we 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 hear flashes and snatches of so much so many other things that it's it, it's told and such a you know well you know what my mate Sherlock's like he's the fellow who sold the thing out with the Atkinson brothers anyway that's not what yeah, I'm telling yeah, you yeah, about I'm yeah. telling you about the scandal in Bohemia the, the, the lads with the watch you know the one he solved it where he when he wound up the watch and solved the crime him anyway he's just met yeah. this king yeah yes. it's, it's that sort of thing um, I, I love um, talking about the BBC version that I did like I, I like it when there's a little nod just to me that's what it feels like so they, they did the speckled blonde there's a yep. brief reference to that and the geek interpreter about so many fans' comic stories that are coming true in real life. Um, yep. I, I, I absolutely love all those. I'm, I'm going to use this opportunity now to talk about Bert Cools, who wrote the, well, he dramatised it, the, um, pretty much most of the canon on the Radio 4 versions, which is my Sherlock, my favourite Sherlock of Craft Glad Merrison. And he wrote the further adventures where he would do things like that. So uh, Mr. Windebank going back into his house um, to retrieve an umbrella was never seen again. So he's written that entire story based on that. <laughs> and, uh, and, what, what, and so Bert, I'd love to get Burkles on this show. That's my absolute dream. Um, but one thing I, I love about, you're right, he's done it as a joke to himself, but he's also put a little thing down to, to say, how can anyone possibly write a crime mystery based on, is it, is it the, the lighthouse and the train cormorant you refer to in one story? What the hell is going on with that? But I don't know, but I want to read it. And you're right, Watson uses the whole thing as a, um, oh yeah, the great the giant rat of Sumatra, but we'll, we'll come back to that. And then, by yep. the way, and then the king turned up. And it's, it's the whole, you're only seeing a snapshot of this character's life and you're only getting to see what you deserve to see, which is, and the first one is, he loses. And that to me is just an incredible, incredibly brave piece of writing and an incredibly brave piece of characterization as well. And, there are so many. I've um, the um, somebody Rigoletti and his abominable wife. Um, I'm going to write all these down. These are all. I'm going to write them. I'm going to write them, Neil. <laughs> the time I did something on this, I, I refused to have, let, let the canon just just state with that. So, sorry, stagnate with just with just those stories left on unsaid. Um, but speaking of Watson, though, what I think is really interesting in this story as well in the novels, Watson's job is firstly to meet Holmes as I hear he is everyone. And then his second job is to write everything down. In Scandal, Conan Doyle gives him work. He gives him a job to do. And the first time it's ever, where Sherlock's ever said, actually, apart from, you know, can you come to the, um, the house in Brixton where Rock has written on the wall and just write this down because I need you as a doctor. The first thing he says to him, I think this is really interesting, Sherlock says to him is, I trust you've got no problem with breaking the law. And he says, fine, straight away. Yeah. So, so I think this is a really important Watson story. I think Watson's going to be underrated a lot in, in, in these podcasts because obviously because it's obvious who the big shine and light is in the, out of the two of them. But as, uh, as, as Holmes actually says, you know, you're a great conductor of light. You do, you're not luminescent yourself, but you're a great conductor of light. And he's vital in this, I think, because he is the moral conscious of Holmes in this. So, you know, when Watson, when Holmes is rude to a female client or dismissive, as he is at the end of the sorry, solitary cyclist, for example, it's Watson who does the usual, ah, but, you know, she's one of the most delightful creatures I've ever seen, blah, 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 and brings it up to Victorian speed again. But it's a big story, this for Watson, I think. But I think the most important part of it there is, there's two, you've just said there about moral conscience, but there's something that happens that basically Watson gives us 
and certainly gives a, a late Victorian audience permission to like this fella who will just break the law because he needs to get a result. Yeah. And and that's that's massive. And that's what Watson does. You know, Watson is perfectly happy to, on the one hand, he is meant to be the everyman. He's solid. He's sturdy. He's put on seven pounds since he's got yeah. married. All that sort of seven and a half. All that sort just of stuff. Just a trifle more. Just a trifle more. I can't quote this forever, honestly. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. So he's he, and but what what he does straight away is he has no compunction whatsoever. And this there is, if I say that there there isn't a moral, um, there isn't a moral ambiguity about Holmes, because Holmes is simply always all about finding the truth and getting to the bottom of the mystery, and that's it. So there's not a moral ambiguity in that. That's it. The, 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 if you want these, if you're reading these stories, and Conan Doyle just brings us in, and here again in terms of the universe, just be aware that these fellows will break the law every now and again if I need them to. Yeah, and not, and they're not even going to make a big deal out of it. They're not going to. There's not going to be a long. I'm not. They're not wrestling with a moral dilemma about whether or not they're prepared to break the law. What doctor? I presume you're prepared to break the law. Yes, I am. Sound that's that done then. And yeah. it's yeah, and it's like that's going to be it for all the other stories yeah. that are going to follow again. As and when we need to break the law, as and when we need to break in. So um, Holmes is at one point feels as though he's responsible for someone's death, as you mentioned before. Yeah. But the point about all of this is it's to serve the idea of Holmes solving the mystery. Yeah. That we and we're now on board. We're not going to get involved in any of that. We're not, you know, this is not going to turn into whether it's children or it's children's a separate conversation, but this isn't going to turn into a long moralistic conversation about is it is is it right for a man to do something that is against the law, but in order to get a result. No, no, no. We're not having a conversation about that. Yeah, That's yeah. done. It's done now. Yeah. It's out the way. We've sorted that. And now we can move forward. And the number of times, you know, in the in the short stories that are to come, Watson is going to have to play a part, and that part is going to, at the very least, be of, of of questionable legality. But it's fine. It's all done. It's all out the way. We are adventurers. And Conan Doyle's bringing together, he's bringing together sort of, you know, that sort of feeling of, of, the, of the adventurer. There's the gothic element within this and within a lot of the home stories that are to come and to follow. He sort of touched upon it in Sign of Four, um, with the pygmy, the yeah. idea that there's something unlikely and something that you know there's something some, some something that's otherworldly, he can bring that in that can be brought in as well, and I think that's how he's sort of you know he's, he, this is how he's breaking new ground as he's bringing together the adventurer uh, and this sort of the adventurer push for within English literature around this sort of period, but he's throwing the gothic in as well, and he's. He's, he's he's creating this form of murder mystery at the same time, and all of this is 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 pulled together through not just through Holmes, but through Watson as well, and not just because Watson is the narrator, but because, as you say, what he does is he 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 gives permission for the audience, for the reader, to come with in terms of and he just gets things out of the way and this is back to the economy of it all and again that's another reason why it, why when i when i revisited the the these stories to, to come and talk to you because I've, I've been reading some some stuff recently that's one of the reasons why it made me think of le carré because there's loads of stuff in le carré's work where people are effectively spying on one another but at no point yeah. does that ever necessarily if, if 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 the writer doesn't want it to it doesn't become some sort of ridiculous moral dilemma. There are some stories that do work completely like that by Lacari, like a perfect spy, which is brilliant, where where that becomes part of the issue with the with the lead character and all of that. But you know, you look at something like the spy who came in from the cold. At no point are we really truly asked to 
question what it is he's doing apart from the very end when it becomes the totality of the matter for the first yeah. 60 pages he's just going about his business as being this person and in this short story that's what happens we're just going about our business of being Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson and this is what it involves and Conan Doyle's doing that on top of telling us this brilliant story that under, underpins all of this that makes his lead character vulnerable um, that we don't always think that he's going to win he's doing all of these things to basically say you think this is good wait till you get to the redhead of the league yeah, exactly, but I need yeah. to get you to the redheaded league. I need you to come with this, and this yeah. this will this will help set that up and make you enjoy that even more. Yeah, you wait. You wait till the dancing men. Yeah, then then, then we're going to start getting a bit complex. You wait till the empty house, and uh, and, and even the final problem. In fact, and it, it's it's one of the best things about this story for me is I love the fact. Um, firstly, it's the first time. Well, it's the first time for everything. It's the first short story. Um, it puts the disguises on. So obviously, he's, so he's the priest and he's the loafer um, yep. who inadvertently um, is the witness at the wedding. Um, so I quite like the little comedy element to that and the fact that Holmes does find that amusing that he did that. And you know, yep. like, um, she gave me a sovereign. I mean, to wear it on my watch chain and that sort of thing. But what is beautiful about this is Irene Adler hasn't done anything wrong. And yet he's so happy to go underhand just because... It's, and it's got nothing to do with the king. He's not interested in the king. He's just a unit. He doesn't mean a thing. I, he's basically saying, I will do anything possible to satisfy my own mind as to what's going on here. And um, yeah, all I've got to do basically is get a photograph. That's all I've got to do. And yet he does it so elaborately and so in such an underhand manner. He's not doing this for anyone other than himself. And that, that's a wonderful thing, I think. Well, we're, and obviously, next to me, we've got the most sturdy, moralistic man in the, in the entire you know, stories based on it. Um, and they, do, they make a big deal about this on the TV series as well, that fact Sherlock um, recognises in John, as he's called in the TV series, that he needs the, the thrill of the chase as well. You know, he, you know, the episode where he loses his limp because he's yeah. too busy running around, you know, in... Um, um, and I think this is a huge thing. The fact that the disguise thing is incredibly underhand. I know it's there for entertainment. I know it's there for comedy. But I love the fact that he doesn't have to do that. It's just like he's almost amusing himself. And the case is just... Everything in the case is, just, is you know, it's, it's not about the photograph. It's about everything else. I just want to entertain myself and I'll do it this way. Yep, this, this, this guy's turned up. I think, you know, what's important is that there's been a number of attempts to reclaim the photograph uh, and the letters and it's not succeeded. Um, and that's that, that's caused trouble. Um, you know, there's four attempts that they've had. They, beat, they, beat, they, they weigh layer, he says. Yeah, he beats her up, yeah. Yeah, so all of this is, you know, is, is in there. That it's And, and that's, what, that's what gets his attention. There's been four attempts and none of them have worked. So what is that? How do we? How how do I work this one out? And they weren't looking in the right place. But it is there's something else as well which does get thrown in, and it is an interesting one where, and it's interesting. It's in part because Conan Doyle's setting it up to knock it down. But there's a point where Holmes says, "There's money in this case. What's if there's nothing else?" Yeah. Um, yeah. And then come the very end when he's offered the rewards of the ring or anything else, he he wants the picture. And that tells us how important the picture is and how important the woman is. And that's that, that he sets that up early on Conan Doyle to knock it down. But it does remind you that the world's first consultant detective does also need to make a living in amongst these little bits and pieces. And that that is something that's in his mind uh, all the way through uh, the, the, all of this sort of stuff. And that's 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 present in there. That that is again, it's telling us, reminding us that this is his job um, in a way that's unorthodox and different. 
And so I think I, I, you know, I think all in, I think it's just this lovely, you know, lovely, well-crafted jewel of a short story that stands on its own beautifully, that has, as you said before, a beginning, a middle and an end, that has comic moments, um, that has moments of ridiculousness, but that simultaneously set up everything <clears throat> that is to come with the stories that follow. And as I say, to to have achieved all that and to do all of that in what is really not that many words at all um, is, and this is to go back to why I think it is of such, why so much of the Conan Doyle stuff is of such literary renown. You know, I I, I I I like sort of modern short story writers. I like Alice Munro and I like Lottie Moore. And one of the things that I like about, about those women and the way in which they write uh, short stories is that they manage to capture everything that you need to take away from you in 20 pages when you can read novels of awful men by like Jonathan Franzen, uh, where it's, where it's ridiculously overblown and pompous and and self-involved and, 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 and carry the weight of those books, but not actually get much insight. But Conan Doyle is offering that insight along with that adventure, along with that sense of mystery, along with that sense of build it up and knock it down. And he's doing it in 20 pages. Yeah. He's doing it in 20 pages and saying, there you go, have one of them. Aren't they great? There's another one to come in a minute. Yeah, I've, I've written uh, about the quarter amount of the words I used for the novel and I've, I've told you more. I've yeah. given you more story, more characterization, more intrigue, more background. I, there's a king in there who's been rude to him. He goes to a wedding, and I've done that in about what 18 pages, something like that. And, I, it, it, and Irene Adler rings out, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, she's I, still I, the most I, famous name in the Sherlock. Yeah. If you say Sherlock Holmes woman, you know she still made the BBC series. And yeah, but also, that and she makes elemental elementary as well. But also, it, it's more that sort of she's she, he manages. She's got almost a mythological quality. She doesn't actually she doesn't actually say or do that much within no. like in real time within the story. But she writes the letter, and the letter is again, you know, the letter's beautifully written uh, by Conan Doyle, and but it feels as though it is in her voice, and it comes right the way through, and it makes you really like her. You really like her. You really like her because she's having a pop at the king as well. That you you come away from the full story and you just you know the king is is contemptible really you know the number of times he's making reference to his class and if only she'd have been of rank and all of this sort of stuff was it not a pity and, she was a blow meister yeah on a different yeah. level to myself yeah and all of that and that matters sort of hugely and that's where you know the I think the first hour forty five minutes to an hour of the BBC adaptation this was the second um this was this 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 was the first episode of the second series of all of that i think in terms of mainstream television being put out by the bbc but maybe even full stop of about the last 20 years i think it's one of the best 45 minutes to an hour anyone's ever done and one of the reasons why is everything that it gets right about irene adler that she is adler is is something grander than just than just a character within this that she has to She's not she, a heroine. The classic no. heroine. She's so much more. Yeah, she has to be. She has to be unbelievably rich, unbelievably arch. She has to really ring out. She's brilliantly played, by the way, within that for the first forty-five minutes to an hour. And it's just such a massive shame that the the need to have the overarching 
um, that the, the, the playfulness and the lightness of touch that Conan Doyle shows within the short story, because there was a feeling that you had to have the need for the overarching baddie within the BBC thing. That's where it goes off the rails. That's where once, it, we'll talk about this some other time, but I think, I think you and I have discussed this before. Can we just have one episode without Moriarty being in it? Exactly. Just, either, just you know, one. Why is he in every single one? Exactly, and and oh, I think the, the only one I think he might. Oh no, he actually even pops up in the Baskervilles one. Yeah, it does. Yeah, be in, in the because they're all having having visions, so he has to come up in that. Yeah. It is. It's hugely problematic, and I do think that. And but I think that that's one of the things that Conan Doyle, and it's it's different forms. Again, it's worth remembering he was writing this stuff for serialization to be put into a magazine, yeah. Yeah. and you know that that was how this was going to work. But he. You know, he he never felt the need to have the overarching sort of baddie, and it's one of the things that really undermines, I think, the the the, the BBC thing. And nowhere is it greater than this episode in the BBC thing. And the reason why is because it's so good up to the point at which it gets ruined. And yeah. the texting thing, I, I, when I when I first saw the texting thing, I mean, she texts him like thirty times an hour or something, and um he's been all casual about it. I think the, the actual Irene Adler, she, she literally wrote him a letter saying, do you know what? I quite respect you, but, but you haven't won, but I quite respect you. And that says more to me than she's chasing him because, you know, she's dead sexy and everything. And I just thought, yeah. I, I, I completely agree. So leave it where it is. And she's, she's the perfect Irene Adler. She's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Then, you've, nailed you've nailed it. Though. But then to be fair, then you get the noise right on the texting thing, which I think is really funny. And I think it yeah. works. I think you can go with Adler within that. But then, yeah, the idea that it's as relentless as it is, but then she does have another purpose for it, which is in within the story. Yeah. But the problem with that is it's a Moriarty based thing. It's not an Adler based thing. Yeah. And that's why, why, why it all goes off the hook that the idea that if they could have done Adler and the very end of the BBC thing where, where Sherlock has to save the day on the one hand, it's got the feel of that sort of a desert canonical type thing where it's always oh, off to go and do something else and we don't get to see it but on the other he should not need to save this woman this woman is is the purpose of her is she's bigger bolder better than yeah. he could could deal with or cope with and within there in exactly the same way as conan doyle boxes it and says sometimes this is the sort of thing that's going to happen to this fella and that he can be beaten by anyone. Uh, you know, don't ever be complacent around it. They throw that away. But also there's something in there that doesn't sit right because it is a woman as well that he's rescuing. The hero saves it, the heroine, yeah. Yeah, and it undermines that character completely, that character that we've, you know, that it they got so right in the first 45 minutes of that adaptation is just ruined in that moment because they couldn't leave it alone and it's the one of the great frustrations of the, the of the bbc update is that sort of it isn't the idea that I, I want them to sit ridiculously close to the text far from it i think it's important to update i think it's important to update and adapt and be and take risks but there's there's some essences that needed to be left alone and this is a really good example of one of them where it didn't need the lily gilding in no. the way in which in the way in which it in the way in which they did it in the end. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I love I love the little updates of you know he's a smoker, and uh, uh, well it's smoking and pipes in in the stories, and then it's suddenly it's patches because smoking's no good anymore, and he moans about that. I like that little update. I like the update of text messaging appearing on the screen instead of instead of telegrams. I like that, but don't mess around with Adler. Actually, don't mess around with Moriarty either. 
in some no, ways, no. Don't, mess, don't mess around with Mycroft in some ways too. Well, yeah, I think I think that, they, they, that, that there's some stuff they decided they needed from a plot point, and I can just about take Mycroft. Yeah, yeah that's because he needs a big wig, doesn't he? He needs someone to get yeah. to. And, and I think down just, and comedy. Yeah, and I think you can just about accept a little bit of Moriarty, but it's the idea that it's everywhere and it's pernicious and it's endless and no story can exist without it. And that, to me, yeah. in fanta- it, 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 to me it, it's a reminder that the fella, and as I say, I think they do some really good work and I think they clearly love the source material. But And I mean this with the greatest respect to someone who's, you know, who's, who's done some really, really good work, but it's a bit of a reminder that he also did Doctor Who. And I think Doctor Who's really good in its place. It's not for me, but that's fine. And I think it does what it does really, really well. But it's a Doctor Who-ish element that he brings in this, the idea of that he's up against the master as well. That is unnecessary within the confines of this all the time. I just don't think it needs to be relentless. Can I give you an example of that? Um, Because I didn't realise this. I, I do know my classic Doctor Who. And the first ever Doctor Who story with Davros in was called, was called Genesis of the Daleks, 1975. Every single Dalek story after, after that had Davros in it. Every yeah. single one. Up until we know when they cancelled it. Um, and part of me just thought, I remember thinking, even as a kid, just thinking, oh, it's Davros again. And bearing in mind, they, used, they saved Davros till the third act. Oh, is that the Supreme Dalek? Oh, it turns out it's Davros. Well, of course it is, because he's in every one. And there, and there goes the mystery. You know, yeah. You, no, you've just you've just taken the tinsel off this. That that's all you've done, and yeah, and that that was that was my Moriarty problem uh, in, in general as well. And uh, like I think you and I have spoken about this. What you'd be delighted to know, though, Neil, was I was on a um, uh, a Jack the Ripper board that myself and producer John, who's producing this, um, are on, and um, as someone I don't know said, "Oh, you re- you do realise that you can't criticise the BBC Sherlock on your podcast because there are." legions of people who will rip you to pieces on the internet. So I'm looking forward to my Twitter ads when this comes out. I'm going to this, how dare you slug off, well, blah, blah, blah. Well, let the, well, genuinely, I mean, what I would say to them is that I've just said, and, and I think you would agree with that, as I say, the first 45 minutes to an hour of the of the, the, this this specific the episode that references it's, it's, it. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's, 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 it's tremendous, and it, it genuinely, like, it's it's a stunning achievement uh, because it, it gets it it, it it gets almost every every everything completely right, and that's not just from a fandom point of view. That's not just from a, a man who will come on a podcast and talk about Sherlock Holmes' point of view. That's from you know from the point of view of someone who loves mainstream television when it pulls it pulls its socks up and nails it. You know, that's from the idea that twenty million people could watch this and be thrilled by it. It's getting that right through that run, and. It's so rare that that happens anywhere, to be quite honest with you. It's and it, so and it rare. doesn't talk down to you as well. It doesn't no. talk down to you, which is a problem no. with television sometimes, a lot of the time. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And I think that, you know, everyone get everyone's getting it right. And I think that that's really, really important that that's crystal clear. And that's why it is just such a shame in the end when it when when the very end doesn't go right, when it goes wrong. And that's where, you know, that and that's why it is a shame. But it's it's still, you know, we're still talking here about eight, nine out of ten television, that particular episode. I mean, if they really want to get stuck into me, they can grab me on some of the later ones, which I'm absolutely living about. <laughs> yeah. but, um we will be coming to that. But this don't one we? but this one, this one doesn't really matter. But within all of this, you know, just to sort of from my point of view, say that you know, the last little sort of bits and pieces of what I've got to say about all of this is just that it's it's just a brilliant way to set up everything that's to come. And hopefully, if people are listening to this and if they're reading the books for the first time in conjunction with it, or even if they're not, or if they're tempted please to, do. please do, please read do, the because because the setup, the stories, the setup of this one, just you know, if you'd have asked me, you know, if you asked me for my top ten, 
this is probably in there around number three to number six changes per mood and per day. Last question, Neil. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's probably number three between number three and number six. I. I love you mentioned Silver Blaze before, and I've got a real soft spot for Silver Blaze, and I don't quite know why. It's actually one I come back to a fair bit. Um, I adore the Redheaded League because I'm a human being. Um, yeah, that's, that's just, show. yeah, it's tremendous. It really is absolutely brilliant. Uh, and you know, there's there's others that are just ridiculously pleasing. Um, I love Speckled Band. I mean, you know, I don't know if the Rolling Rat, um, the Rolling Rat, Basil Brush, not Basil Brush, um, Rolling Rat and his mate. I've forgotten uh, Terry uh, the Gerbil, Ke- Kevin, Ke- the Kevin the Gerbil. They did an adaptation of this as well, and some of that's fantastic television too. Um, they did adaptations of Sherlock Holmes stories going back to the late eighties. Uh, but please, you know, please be on I, YouTube. I'll link this if it's on YouTube. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're always in my mind around this sort of stuff as well. But no, I think that the next sort of three or four are terrific, and then it does become just a tiny little bit uneven. But he's he sets himself up brilliantly here. And yeah, I, I said this in the teaser pod that I, I'm not a fan of Casebook in general, the Casebook of Sherlock Holmes, but it's, it's got the Sussex Vampire in it, which has got one of my favourite lines ever, which is, um, the world is big enough for all of us, no ghosts need apply. Which, when you can think about what Conan's always into, he was very much into fairies and things like that and the occult. Uh, I, I, he does surprise you every now and then. So that was going to be my final question was, was going to be, because obviously when he rated all his stories, he put this as fourth, I think. Um, Did he? he said the Redheaded League was better than it. Yeah, uh, I, d- I did a brief poll of the top three, and um, Redheaded League came out as number one. As the best Redheaded League's great. Six Napoleons is terrific. Um, Second Stain, I like Second Stain a great deal. I'm just sort of doing the ones that are off the top of my head. I mentioned before Silver Blaze. Um, I've always enjoyed Copper Beaches. Um, you know, again, just sort of pulling through what's what's in my mind. Um, I like Bruce Parsons yeah. plans. Yes. I, mean, I, yes. Don't, I don't really like the political stuff very much, but I just love the, the um, well, well, there's no spoilers on this podcast. I, I like the idea of putting the body on top of the tube. Train. Yeah. I think that's really clever. Yeah. And every, every time I go through Gloucester Road, I keep thinking, oh, this is where the curve was. Where he, uh, yeah. That's uh, the person I am. Abby Grange as well. Abby Grange is great. Yeah. So much to look forward to. Hmm. Yeah, we've got. I've got fifty-five to everyone. But in the meantime, Neil, can I thank you so much for coming on and being the first guest? I've enjoyed uh, it. It's, it's, been, it's been great to have you on. Um, what I'm going to ask you to do um, is come on again, but I want you to come on and do a story that you don't particularly like. Okay, I'll pick one of them out. Take one of those. Is I've got my own, so uh, everyone's got their own. But in the meantime, thank you so much, and uh, thanks for listening. We will be back with Trevor Bond and the Red-Headed League. I would like to thank our hosts at Rippercast, as well as producers Jonathan Mengus and John Rees. A special thank you too to Andrew Firth, who created both the graphics and the theme music. You can contact us on Twitter at Adler to Amberley. Thank you for listening.